Welcome to the Mid-Range Podcast. I'm your host, KP. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the, the now-crowned NBA champion of the upcoming season, the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, there's a lot of talk in LA about Lakers, Clippers, who's a better team, which one will come out on top in the West, and everybody saying the Clippers got a better team because of the fact that they solidified landing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Now, people were saying that there was a lot of stuff that the Clippers did good against the Golden State Warriors when they were at full force with KD, Draymond, Clay, and Steph. But I'm looking at the fact that they could not even play any defense. On average, they gave up 125 points to the Golden State Warriors. In six games, they took them to six. The only thing significant about that six-game series was the fact that they're down 33 and everyone turned off the TV. And all of a sudden, Lou Williams had a game of his career, led them to come back, and they won that game. 135-131. So, for people to say they went toe-to-toe with the Golden State Warriors by letting up 125 points per game in the playoffs is not really going toe-to-toe. Yeah, you're going toe-to-toe on the scoring aspect of things. You're trying to outscore a team that has three guys that can drop 30 points a game and one guy who can do that in one quarter. Clay Thompson on several occasions has done that throughout his career in the playoffs. And they're saying that now that they've landed Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, they should be the favorites heading into this upcoming season with Jerry West as their player slash GM, who I don't know, I would say, People wouldn't say he's the GM, but he's actually the GM because he's kind of facilitated all these guys coming in and the culture change and everything else. Doc Rivers, one of the, in the eyes of many, one of the greatest coaches in the NBA. I beg to differ because I've seen this blueprint in Orlando when he had Tracy McGrady and he had Grant Hill. They were a great regular season team. Don't get me wrong. Orlando was a great regular season team. And during the playoffs, they could not do anything productive because the one thing he needs in his offensive scheme is a point guard, okay? Rajon Rondo was his point guard in Boston for Doc Rivers when they won that championship with Ray Allen, with Paul Pierce, and with Kevin Garnett, okay? He wasn't a scoring point guard, but he was a facilitator. The one thing I don't see on their lineup going forward after trading Shea Alexander to OKC and shipping away Gallinari as well too, that they've made any improvements to what allowed them to score offensively last year. You have a 6'10 guy in Gallinari who should have been the Raptors' first overall pick when Colangelo drafted Bargnani, which was the most... I don't even understand. 
it just it frustrates me thinking back to how bad of a pick that was. He was unathletic, could not put the ball down on on the floor, could not get to the hole, just sat out by the three-point line, seven-footer, by the way. Yes, he could shoot, but he would average like three and a half rebounds. I don't understand how you're seven feet and you can't even get down on a low block, post anybody up, and actually manipulate a game from the inside and outside. Gallinari, he does that. Gallinari, 6'10", can hit a three. Bring that big man, open that floor for those guards to drive down the lane. Now you got your 6'10 guy getting guarded by uh, 6'9", 6'10", 7-footer. Draws him out, hit a three. He can post up the smaller defender, and he can put the ball on the ground and create havoc on the defense. They lost that guy. So now you have nobody that can actually open the floor for Doc to have Kawhi and Paul George be who they were last year on teams when they had facilitators. Kawhi had Kyle Lowry. Paul George had had Westbrook. Despite the fact that Westbrook's shooting may not be what it was, but he led the league in assists. He was facilitating, moving the ball around, allowing him to score and average what he did average last year. But when Doc was with Orlando, he had Grant Hill, he had Tracy McGrady, and they still went after Tim Duncan because he knew, as well as his coaching staff at that time, that what they actually had together, they needed a big man in order for the defense to stay committed and lock down on the low post and allow these guys the manipulation to do what they do on the perimeter, and vice versa. Tim Duncan, Mr. Fundamentals, who can hit any 15-footer, use that backboard, that bank shot was money 24-7. That would allow a lot more on their offensive end. Right now, they got two guys that can put up 25. They got two guys that can play defense, understandably. They got two guys on both sides of the ball. that are That's great, but they do not have anybody to run the offense. Now, not taking anything away from Patrick Beverly, but he's not, he's a great defensive point guard, but he's not an offensive point guard and an offensive point guard to run your offense. An assist man is crucial to the success of Doc Rivers. He cannot be the coach without. A point guard. Can't. But a lot of people just saw what happened last year. The fact that no one talks about what Portland did to OKC and Paul George because he didn't do anything to prevent them from losing. And he didn't do anything to help them win. Yes, there's other factors on the teams. But at the same time, for this anointment of hierarchy in the NBA now, that everyone's down to duos. Seeing those guys that can put up numbers and play defense was predicated on the fact that they had point guards. They had facilitators. They had an offense that was driven around them, and they had guys that you'd have to lock on to. Steven Adams was there in OKC. Westbrook was an issue in OKC. I don't see anybody that's going to do anything that allows those two to facilitate that way. 
They lost Shea Alexander, a 6-6 point guard, rookie. Got to the hole when he needed to. Didn't really force and was always looking to facilitate. Their offense was good. Gallinari spread the floor, took the big out of the paint, allowed for those driving lanes to kick, for those guys to actually make an effort to get to the hole a lot easier. Now you don't have anyone to stretch the floor. Regardless of the fact that having a duo, the new NBA is not what it was before. Duos of Pippen and Jordan were predicated on the fact that you had post players that just played post positions. You didn't have your seven-footer stretch out to the three-point line. The Bulls got that that year. They won with Coach and Rodman. He was that dude from Croatia, dubbed the Jordan of Europe, but he could draw the big man out, open up the floor. There's nobody on the Los Angeles Clippers that is a threat on the three-point line as consistently as Gallinari was for his size and what he brought. So they're going to lose that aspect. They're not really going to be that same team that people saw last year. Lou Williams had a a great year. 75 games, he dropped 20 points. But he had three rebounds and his average of five, five assists a game. He shot 36 from three. You know, over his career, he's an average 34 from the three-point line. Yes, he does score in bunches. He is a six-man, reigning six-man. But on career average, it's 14 points a game. He goes for two rebounds and three assists on average. That's 100. That's throughout his career plan. He can score. He's a great person to come off the bench, but they're losing a lot in those other two they traded. Paul George, does he fill that void for Gallinari? Yes, he probably does. But who's going to be the facilitator? Shea Alexander's gone. Gallinari, maybe you can say that's a good trade. On that aspect, you're getting Paul George to do what he's got to do, but the offensive changes... Now that they have the scheme, they don't have anyone to stretch that floor. So are you going to put Kawhi as a facilitator? That's an option, right? But then that takes away from everything else. It takes away from what he can do if he's not the guy that has to worry about getting everybody else involved. With the Raptors, he had success. Lowry was averaging nine assists a game. When Doc had success, Rondo led the NBA during the playoff run that they had when they won their title. He was the assist leader throughout the whole playoffs. So, it's interesting that people want to look at what they picked up but not realize that Basketball is a team sport, and what teams tend to do is once you know there's going to be an issue with the way their offensive is run due to the fact they have two guys that are not really ball-dominant players and are best suited off the ball. But if you take an individual and put them, either one of those two players, and you make them actually become the facilitator, 
Now you're taking away from their game. Now, all of a sudden, you're saying you have two guys that can score 25 points a night, 30 sometimes, give or take, but on average, they're roughly around 25, 26. And now they got to dial that back, and you're going to facilitate to all the other guys that you have on the team. So that would be a weakness for the Clippers going forward because they wouldn't they wouldn't be at their strengths with what they've picked up. Defensively, everyone says, yeah, the front three, Beverly, Kawhi, and Paul. But on the back end, who do they have? Who's who's on the front court? Who is Zubats you have down center? And then you have Montrez. But He's 6'8", so if you're going to put him up against a bigger man in the post, is he going to be able to hold his hold his ground? Does he going to have to get help on the double down if it's if it becomes a you know mismatch? And then that draws those other guys, the, your key defenders, to help out whoever they're guarding on the perimeter. It's a lot of draw and kick now because your interior defense is not the same anymore. So the front three, yes, that's great, but we're not playing. In the Jordan era, we're not playing Lakers and Magic, Cream. Though that era has gone and evolved, it went through, you know, a low post game with Tim Duncan, Mr. Fundamentals, and then it went to a guard game. And that changed when Spain was up against the United States in the Olympics. And I believe. It was the U.S. and them in the final, and LeBron was playing the five. Marc Gasol, Paul Gasol, Serge Ibaka, they were all playing for Spain, but you had your power forward playing center, which allowed you to put Kobe on, Wade playing the two, Kobe playing the three, interchangeable both positions, Paul you put in Anthony. Now you've stretched that floor. You made those big guys come out and play those perimeter players. And that's what's going to happen because you have two guys that can, yeah, they can lock down the perimeter. That's great, but it's not what it was before. So this little duo saga of, you know, who's who's the best two players going forward and which team is going to be successful because of these two players, you got to really watch what interior presence they have and do they have the players that allow these guys to do what they do, get to key spots on the floor, be able to draw and kick, be able to have their big men step to the three-point line and be respected to hit that three-point shot. Not just kick out and create space because he can kick out and create space, but if I know that guy's not going to shoot and he's shooting 25% from the three-point line, am I really going to guard him? I'm not going to guard him. Montrez shoots 17 from the three-point line. He doesn't get his buckets beyond the arc. He stays within his range, which is in the interior. And that's what he does. So Zubats hasn't even attempted a three at all in his career. So you're relying on Kawhi Leonard, who shoots 38% from the three-point line. That's his career average. Shot 37 last year. Played 60 games. So 
Is he going to play 60 games for the Los Angeles Clippers? He had the press conference said he was going to come out and actually do the 82 game schedule. He says his body's ready to go. He's going to see what he can do. And if that's the case and he plays 82, you know, that's fantastic, but that's wear and tear throughout. That's 22 more games than he played during the regular season with the Raptors. Paul George shoots 37, career 38. So him and Kawhi, they can they can knock down that three. They can hit that three-point shot. But everybody else, what are you really worried about on their front court they have their tallest players Zubats at 7-1 he's not a three-point threat so maybe they go into the in the post but that means Zubats has got to turn into a Tim Duncan because that's the only way the Orlando Magic would have been successful with Doc is if they had Tim Duncan and they were close to having Tim Duncan when he was the Orlando Magic coach which he won coach of the year when he was out there but he knew that he needed a, a big man because if you're going to go to a two-man game without a facilitator, he had Jock Vaughn playing the point and Daryl Armstrong. I know people are like, who are these individuals? But Jock Vaughn went to Kansas. He's he's a head coach now in college, but he was a intelligent point guard. He was similar to a Rondo. Mm-hmm. He didn't do a lot with looking for his shot, trying to get himself involved in the game. He did a lot by getting the other guys involved in the game, facilitating, and then picking his spots on offense. So, and it was the option of he could beat you off the dribble and get to the hole and get his shot when he wanted to, but it wasn't the fact that he had to go for broke when he was running the point. And that's what you need with these players. You need a point guard who's going to understand my job is not to score and it's not to make it about me. It's to make it about these guys first. And then whatever's left over, I got to take care of. But that is predicated on the fact that you can create your own shot, get to the hole, and you are an actual threat on offense. You can be a point guard and not be a threat on offense and be a great facilitator. But if you're going to, if they're going to rely on you to create your own offense, which they did, with Ronda, they would sag off because he couldn't really hit that jump shot. He could get to the hole at will, but at the same time, he was a threat for whoever was guarding him. Look, I'm not saying that the Clippers won't be a good playoff team. I think they'll be a better regular season team unless they do pick up a, a facilitating point guard, one that can run the offense and be in the extension of the head coach as a Doc Rivers, or an interior presence that can stretch the floor and allow driving lanes for these new additions that they brought to the team. Last year, they finished 48-34. and 34. They were eighth in the, le- in the, in the conference. They, on, they were ninth in the league in scoring with 112 points per game. And then they were tied for 21st on the defensive end, allowing 112 points per game. So it was a 50-50. They benefited more than they didn't benefit to have a record of 48 and 34. They played, they won the games that they needed to win. 
as what they had to do. But it wasn't as if they were a dominant force. They were a scrappy team. They pulled things together, and they made the playoffs. Some people say they went toe-to-toe with the Golden State Warriors in the first round, which to me I've never heard a comparison of anyone going toe-to-toe and getting praise for losing in the first round of any playoffs. But that's the narrative right now, that the Los Angeles Clippers were somehow a better team than people expected. So now expectations is through the roof. And then they're talking about Lou Williams like he's the second coming of, I don't know who in the Clippers organization. He's not Jamal Crawford like he can score, but Jamal Crawford was an impactful six man and consistently been an impactful six man. Not to say that Lou isn't an impactful six man. He is as of late. Three of them, six man awards, two back, the back to back with the Clippers and the one with, you know, the Toronto Raptors where he had. And, you know, as much as he says he, Toronto's a second country and all that blah, 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 he was spewing when he was on the air trying to convince Kawhi that the Clippers were a better organization or a better landing spot than Toronto. He wanted to come back to Toronto. He was upset. You can check the tapes. You can check his receipts. He talks about the fact that they never offered him anything to come back to Toronto. So he went to the Los Angeles Lakers, not Clippers. So for him to sit there and spew all this nonsense about how Toronto's this, Toronto's that, he was embraced in Toronto when he was here. He was productive in Toronto when he was here. But would you take him over Kyle Lowry? No. And I don't think anybody would. Lowry averages eight, eight assists, nine assists a game. These are the players that these guys are playing with. Kawhi Leonard was playing with an assist to a point guard, a guy who would dish the ball out but would score, who could hit the three but would get to the hole, and you had to worry about him, and he would get to the free throw line. That's the difference of how successful players can be in the offensive sets they're in. Now, don't get it twisted. Kawhi will do his thing. Paul George will do his thing. And the team will be a successful regular season team, but they're going to lack at positions that they're going to realize that are going to be their weakness. They can do what they need to do on the perimeter, but if you're going to post up now Paul George and have Kawhi to be your your guy who's stretching the floor and allowing for him to be a three-point shooter or vice versa, you're going to get a lot of guys doubling down on the ball. Rotation's going to be goat, so they're going to give it to your low post. you got to look for the weak side help coming. Because that is how they're going to attack you. They're going to make you pick them apart defensively because statistically and tape-wise for those guys, they're not great facilitators. So that is a game that they are going to have to step up immensely in order to go forward down the stretch. Thank you for listening to the Mid-Range Podcast. This was the Lakers, sorry, the Clippers edition because... La La Land's in a battle of who is better than who. So the Clippers will finish in the top three of the Western Conference with overall records. But playoff is a different scheme, different. They know what you run. They know your sets. They know how it is. The better players usually win in those situations. But if your team is not able to sustain the other team's players, not their core nucleus superstar type status guys that 
can impact quarters. If they can't sustain anything, there's not going to be a Clippers run. I could be wrong, but from on paper, as much as people are over hype about what's going on because, you know, the Clippers are finally relevant and LA Lakers and the Clippers and the talking points, you know, if New York Knicks got their free agents and the Brooklyn Nets got their free agents, we'd have to hear that battle of the Brooklyn Nets in New York. And we'd probably be going nuts about the New York media, but right now LA is on this whole tangent about the Clippers or the Lakers. And on the last note, before I let you all go, uh, Whitlock said something about LeBron James, how he was dunking in his son's warm uh, layup line. And he referred to a situation that took place when they were playing Boston and his mom was front row and him and Paul Pierce got into a scuffle and he uttered some words to his mother in that circumstance. And he said he should take that own, his own advice that he gave his mother and do the exact same thing when it comes time to, you know, his son and his organization of AAU and, you know, being in the layup line. For a person without a child to tell a father on how to be a dad is mind-blowing. And the fact that you had guys up there that were not calling him out on that during his show, I... It is what it is. I understand you got to say what you got to say, but to go after a guy who's been there for his family, supportive of his kids, promotes positivity, is is a culture mover and influencer to his community. The school he put up in Akron, the money he's putting down for that, and you're going to go at him for being a dad to his son, to being a father to his son. Nobody's complaining about it but you. And to go that far to complain about somebody in a layup line when you have no kids and probably could not even touch him or dunk, and you're not at his level or status, to go after his character like that, to say he shouldn't do that as a father, how do you know what he should and shouldn't do? It's similar to a priest giving advice on marriage, but they can't get married. What are you going to tell somebody that they need to do if you've never been in a relationship to understand the struggles and complexities of a marriage? All because you read it? Sometimes living life will give you a lot more knowledge than reading it in a, in a book. Nature versus nurture. With that said, I just had to say that because that was like the most ill-advised statement ever made on his talk show. And he said a lot of stuff that's been very e like, yo, you can't go there. But that was a statement that should never have been uttered, never been made to tell him he should sit his ass down because of what transpired between him and in the playoff game. When he was on the court during a game, not in a warm up, And Matt Barnes said, you know, he got ejected from his son's AAU game. He's passionate. He, that's, the type of father he is, but you know, do not go after a guy for being a part of his son's life. Like this cannot be a statement or even a talking point for anybody. You're not even talking about anything important. All right, I'm done. 
Don't want to say anything more about that. That's my two cents. Uh, we don't have pennies no more in Canada, so that's my dime. All right, Mid-Range Podcast. I'm your host, KP. Clipper Nation, Chip City, Clip City, I think it's called. Good luck. Hopefully your season pans out better than my prediction in your playoffs. And you do put a title up in the Lakers arena. But, you know, England went up to no good. You got to get what you got to get and do what you got to do. Till next time. If you don't know, you know. <laughs>